0: Hi everyone and welcome to Heroes and Howlers and the Rest is History. I'm Mikey Robbins. I'm a bit of a history nerd, but my mate Paul Wilson... Hi everybody. Paul's a proper historian all the way from
1: Oxford. Thanks Mikey. Okay folks, so here's the show... It's about the unsung heroes, yeah. the bizarre twists of fate, those weird bits of history that have so
0: changed the course of mankind. Yeah, actually made it it's also about the cock-ups. <laughs> yeah, those howlers, the moments of madness that are sometimes tragic, sometimes comical that have made the world what it is today.
1: G'day folks, so here we are, new episode, and as promised, Mikey's got not just a howler, but a rogue for us,
0: and a Scottish rogue, no less. A very Scottish rogue, mate, Gregor McGregor. (laughs) In fact, he's born in 1786, Mm -hmm. and he comes from a very illustrious Scottish military family. Okay. His grandfather, also Gregor McGregor, also known to his mates as Gregor the Beautiful, Mm -hmm. he was the founding officer of the Black Watch. The Black Watch, wow. It's it's gone down in history. In fact, Gregor McGregor, our howler, Mm -hmm. would also claim he was the great-grandnephew of Rob Roy. Ooh. Yeah, but probably not. (laughs) Okay. So, mate, he follows the family tradition and 1807 he goes into the British Army and between 1807 and 1810 he fights in the – and I'm not – particularly familiar with these, the Peninsular Wars. Oh, yeah, the Peninsular Wars
1: on the continent. That's when, um, in the 19th century, the Spanish and the Portuguese were fighting against Napoleon and for a long time losing against Napoleon. Now, the Brits weren't supposed to
0: really be involved, but typical 19th century, they got dragged in anyway. Well, anyway, well, he serves with distinction, but then in 1812, he gets a rather dodgy discharge. Ah. And we don't really know what for. But he's not done with fighting. He gets involved in the wars of independence raging through Central and South America. Okay. In fact, he ends up serving under the great El Libertador, Simone Bolivar. Simone Bolivar, wow. And within a year, he, he gets a field commission. He, he rises to the rank of general in the Army of Venezuela. Mm-hmm. He gets the new Granada Order of the Libertadores. Ooh! And, mate, here's the icing on the cake. He even marries Simone Bolivar's niece. Right, so he must have been... Pretty good soldier. Yes, mate. In fact, Venezuela still celebrate a renowned, um, sounds a bit weird, tactical retreat that mm-hmm. he once did. He also captured Porto Abello in the Panama. Right. But that's when things go a bit rogue, mate. Mm. He becomes not so much a fighter for the newly liberated Venezuela. Mm-hmm. He becomes a, a rogue mercenary. Okay. He invades Amelia Island, just, Amelia Island, just off the coast of Florida. Okay, takes right. that from the Spanish. In fact, at one point, it seems he tries to set up his very own Florida Republic. <laughs> right. uh, yeah, but before too long, he's back in New Granada, the lands that Simon Bolivar had liberated from the Spanish, and it's at this point, he first gives us a glimpse of his true colours. So is he still signed up for Bolivar at this stage? Well, not really, mate. You see, by now he's getting a bit too big for his boots. He thinks that he should be given his own independent command, Mm -hmm. outside the usual chains of command. So the arrangement he comes to with Bolivar is that he takes over control of a British volunteer force that has assembled itself. Well, that sounds fair enough. Yeah, mate, but here's the thing. As soon as this force comes under anything approaching heavy fire... Gregor McGregor abandons them. Abandons? That's not really something you want from the guy in charge. So what does Bolivar say? What, does, what do his troops say? Well, that's it, mate. Before Bolivar even has a chance to intervene, McGregor's own troops turn on him. In fact, a guy called Lieutenant Colonel Michael Raveter tells how he was so soon despised that when he did finally turn up, the troops spat at him. Spat at an officer? You get court-martialed for that. Yes, but mate, by this stage, in his own head, Gregor McGregor was no longer just an officer. In fact, he was signing off his mail as His Majesty Inca New Granada. His Majesty Inca? (laughs) So now he's well and truly up himself. Yes, mate, but not everyone is buying it. The troops know he's a coward, and the guy I mentioned before, Rafter, he's determined to do something. So next time he's back in England, in 1820, he publishes the memoirs of Gregor McGregor. Right. And I'm going to quote from it directly here that any person could be induced again to join him in his desperate projects would be to conceive a degree of madness and folly of which human nature, however fallen, is incapable. Ooh, all right, so Rafter's got the measure of him. Yeah, but unfortunately Rafter's on his own. This sage advice was never actually heeded. All right, so Mikey's
1: brought along his rogue, we've just left. 19th century london but where's mcgregor All made
0: by the spring of 1820 he's washed up on that piece of coast between honduras and nicaragua known as the mosquito Ah, the mosquito coat yes actually it gets its name from indigenous mosquito Mm. indians that being said it was also chocolate block full of mozzies (laughs) mozzies, yeah in fact the only use it had been to uh, europeans was pirates used to hide out there when they were on the run okay but for gregor mcgregor it's his eureka moment now he would later claim, and it's a little bit spurious, but anyway, he reckons he got some land titles hmm. from a local dignitary, a local chief. Okay, yeah, mate. Even that's still a bit spurious. The guy we're talking about is King George Frederick Augustus the First, a British appointee. Now, remember, Paulie, it wasn't just the Spanish out there; the British were in there as well. Well, that's right, and that's what gave birth to British
1: Honduras, which is today. Belize, isn't it? Just up from the Mosquito Coast. But how does all that fit in
0: with your man, McGregor? Well, mate, he claims by this stage King George Frederick Augustus I has appointed him Kazik of Poye. wow, Well, that's a
1: title. But uh, what about this place Poye, Mikey? No offence, and don't worry, I'm not going to get a map out, but
0: I've never heard of that. Well, mate, you won't find it on any map ever because it's all in McGregor's mind. Ah, yes, it's a fictitious title... For a fictitious place. But for McGregor, it's his big opportunity. Okay. He heads off back to Blighty and he starts printing out these guidebooks to Poirier. Okay. And they talk about the fertile soil, the, the forest full of mahogany and cedar trees, mm-hmm. how there are fields of really important crops like indigo, coffee, cotton, sugar, and tropical fruits. <laughs> okay. Mate, he, he goes further. He says the gold nuggets can be picked up in the street. What? And the place is full of herds of what he describes as basically morbidly obese cattle. <laughs> okay. He then extols its glittering capital with mansions and warehouses and a waterfront, and that one thing that every great Regency capital had to have, um, p- palace. Now, mate. <laughs> An opera house. Uh, opera house, of course. Uh, yes, but a non-existent opera house. And he puts all that in a guidebook. Not just a guidebook, mate. He goes on. He, he produces pamphlets and brochures where he talks about these magnificent parades by the Knights of the Green Cross. Knights of the Green <laughs> yes. Cross. Yes, a, a personal bodyguard of Poirier and Lancers. <laughs> he goes even further. He gets musicians to mm. compose songs mm. extolling the virtues of Poe to be performed in theatres all over England. He then gets artists and he gets them to make etchings and engravings showing this tropical utopia. So what's he trying to do, Mike? He's trying to get tourists out there? No, mate, he's trying to get investors. Ah. He sets up offices in London and Edinburgh and starts selling off parcels of this non-existent paradise by the acre. Oh, we're back in the South Sea Bubble episode. Yes, mate, and you think they would have learnt their lesson, but do you remember one thing about the South Sea Bubble episode was the idea of royal patronage? Mm. Now, McGregor knows this, so he has a crony of him, a guy called William Richardson, Mm. and he sets him up as the ambassador to the British court, King George Fourth, court in London. So he's the Poyane ambassador, <laughs> I see. Right, but he's not just finished there. He also gets his Richardson bloke to have a letter published in all the English newspapers addressed to King George himself. <laughs> You're joking. I wish I was, Paulie. In fact, copies from the newspaper still exist. I'll read it to you. We, Gregor, extend the greetings of a brother sovereign to King George the Fourth and appoint William John Richardson... Commander of the most illustrious order of the Green Cross. <laughs> the Green Cross again. Major in our regiment of house guards to be our charge d'affaires in the United Kingdom of Great Britain. Wow. And. George IV, does he reply? Mate, the silence from the palace was deafening. But what about the mug punters he's trying to get to invest in this project? Well, this is where McGregor's actually quite lucky. You have to remember around about this time, there were other recently liberated states in Central and South America. And they were raising capital by offering bonds. Ah. In fact, they were offering bonds at twice the interest rate of government bonds. And at a return of 3%, they were proving pretty popular with it. Right. But here's the thing. McGregor starts selling off land certificates Mm. for two shillings and threepence an acre, which is round about the daily wage of an artisan at the time. Hang on. If he's selling land certificate to land that doesn't exist, essentially he's... Mate, you're dead right. I know where you're going. Gregor McGregor invented what we today would call a securities fraud. But it works. Oh, mate, it goes gangbusters, and it does so with people who should have known better. Mm. In 1822, the financial institution, Pering Shaw Barber and Company, mm. well, they're run by Sir John Pering. Now, he's an ex-mayor of London. He'd been a parliamentarian. Right. And he starts raising the £200,000 worth of loans, wow. backed with bond issues, which stockholders can exchange for bonds, which they can exchange for freehold title land in Poirier. Ah, in Poirier. In Poirier, yeah. Mate, it's going to come as no surprise to find out that pairing goes bankrupt within three years.
1: <laughs> yeah, but what about the small investors, Mikey? If they're buying these land
0: titles, do they actually go out there and try and claim them? Sadly, mate, yes. On the 10th of September 1822, a rust bucket called the Honduras packet Mm -hmm. leaves the Scottish town of Leith. Ah, Scotland, no doubt milking the family name again. Exactly, mate. His name has currency up north, and it's got 70 passengers. Now, they've paid for the land, which doesn't exist. They've Mm -hmm. paid for passage, Mm -hmm. and you won't believe what else some of them have paid for uniforms. Uniforms? Yes, yeah, some of the younger passengers, he would told them that they would get jobs in the Poirian military. Oh. And of course, he provided the uniforms, ah. they had to pay him. He even sets up his own bureau de change. Bureau de change, but surely there isn't any such thing as a Poirian currency. Well, actually, mate, in McGregor's world, there is. And he lets these passengers know that their British money won't be worth anything. So he gives them on a pretty dodgy exchange rate, Poye and notes. But where's he going to get notes from? Remember, he's well connected. He actually gets them printed by the Scottish Mint. No way. So back to the bucket <laughs> of a ship, does it get them there? Yes, it does, mate. In November, it turns up at the Black River. The Black River? On the Mosquito Coast? Correct. But of course, that's about the only thing that matches the brochure. First off, there ain't no opera house. So the passengers and the crew set off a signal gun, hoping that a pilot boat will come out and lead them up the river. Except except there's no pilot. Except there's no (laughs) pilot boat. So eventually they they get on shore, and search parties start heading out into the jungle, and this is where it stops being funny. Mm. There are storms, hunger and disease set in. In fact, later, one young settler would recall... Not one was able to assist another out of such a number. And many of those who had newly come from Scotland were well advanced in years and had come to end their days in peace. So he'd swindled and abandoned elderly Scots people.
1: Now, I'm guessing McGregor himself's not on the ship. No doubt he's safely tucked up in bed,
0: counting up all his ill gotten gains. And some.
1: And so what about all these poor passengers?
0: They're left to rot there by themselves. No, not by themselves, mate. Over the next few weeks, another ship arrives and then another. In fact, a total of seven ships set sail. By the end of this, 180 people have died. This includes children and the elderly. A few get resettled in the States, but Mm. less than 50 make it back to Britain. In fact, a guy called General Codd, who was the British governor of the Honduras, he spends over a year cleaning up McGregor's mess and and repatriating the swindled. But hang on, Mikey, 19th century Britain, surely there must have been some sort of outcry in the press. Oh, yes, mate, there was. The press swooped, but the mud didn't stick. Remember Richardson, the guy mm-hmm. I was talking about before? He actually defends McGregor and sues the newspapers on his behalf. Wow. By 1823, though, it's getting hot. And Gregor McGregor does what every scoundrelous British man does <laughs> at some stage. He flees to Paris. Right. So now he's learned his lesson. No, mate, he's straight back to his old tricks. What, in France? Yes, mate. By September 1825, he's duped in another boatload in a sitting sail, except this time from La Havre. All right, so we're with this real stinker of
1: a 19th century Scotsman. He's just swindled the French, which not normally I wouldn't object to,
0: but now he's finally going to get his comeuppance. Yes, mate, but also no. By December 1825, he's finally arrested and thrown in La Force prison. But once in there, he starts a letter writing campaign where he blames a vast Spanish conspiracy. <laughs> always blame the Spanish. Always blame yeah. the Spanish, mate. <laughs> if you're in trouble. Exactly. He says he's being persecuted because he's the leader of a newly independent Latin state. Ah. And he actually feeds off anti-Spanish sentiment. In France, yes. So much so, mate, that he actually has two trials and is acquitted on both occasions. Ah, so he's one of those typical Rogues. He's always got a brass neck. Not just the neck, mate. Because after the trial, he goes back to London where he finds another really venerated financial firm like the last one, except this time it's Thomas Jenkinson Co. Mm-hmm. Now the idea is he's going to raise 300000 pounds with a bond issue, which is guaranteed by and you're not gonna believe this, gold mines in some place called Paula Loser. Paula <laughs> Loser? Yeah, I know it sounds like a bad rock festival. It of course doesn't exist. But mate, this doesn't stop him opening a new Poiesian office in twenty-three Threadneedle Street. Threadneedle Street, so bank right in the middle of the square mile. Yeah, mate, he's back raising money again. Alright, Mikey, but tell me, this can't last forever. Thankfully, no, mate. And it's not actually the press that does him in, it's not actually the courts, it's a pamphlet, a counter-pamphlet it is. It starts spreading through London and it's called Take Care of Your Pockets, Another Poirier Humbug. Now, this seems to do the trick because investors seem to just dwindle on the vine and he's finally arrested in England. So the long arm of the law finally catches up with him. Catches up with him and then releases him without charge. (laughs) Without charge? How could that happen? Well, mate, there's a theory, and I believe this is quite a good theory, that there are a lot of members of the British establishment who would have been deeply embarrassed if McGregor had ever gone to trial and testified. Ah, right. So now he's only got one place to go. He's, he's back to Scotland with his tail between his legs? No, Paulie. He actually goes to the only place on Earth where his name isn't mud. Which is...? Venezuela. Oh, right. Remember, his wife is the niece of the great Simone Bolivar. Simon Bolivar. Now, unfortunately, Josepha, his wife, has died in 1838, but he still trades on her family name... He settles in Caracas, and then he finds an old friend from his old fighting days, who by now is the defence minister. So you're not going to believe this, mate. He restores McGregor to his former rank. No way. He gives him back pay. What? Pension. (laughs) And when he dies, he gets a state funeral. (laughs) You're kidding. You'll be telling me you had a statue next. No, Paulie, don't worry. When he dies, everything dies, including the fictional kingdom of Poye. And I'm glad to say, if you ever go to Loch Katrine with the McGregors... Ah, yes, the McGregors' family stronghold. And, mate, they've got a cemetery there where all the great McGregors are buried. If you go there, there's not one mention of our rogue, Gregor McGregor, in all of the family memorials. Good. All right, folks, so there you go. Any questions, any comments,
1: just drop us a line on all your social media. Same as usual, your Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, whichever you prefer. That's right, and
0: always the same handle, at the rest is hist. The rest is hist. And you'll find all that in the show notes. And whenever you're listening, don't forget to like, subscribe, comment. On whichever platform you happen to use, it's always great to get your feedback.
1: Yeah, keep it all coming. We're having lots of fun out there, lots of
0: extra stories. And maps. There's always more maps. (laughs) Right, which brings us to next week. And next week, Paul, you're taking us to a place you mentioned in Extra Helping, somewhere we haven't been before, the seventh continent, Antarctica.